I uh, love working at our church. I love uh, being a part of this, and the people are just incredible. And part of what I get to do is I get to work with uh, a couple of guys that are that are kind of different, um, James and Wes. And, and we're we're working on a new website that's going to be launched in a couple of weeks. And and on there is going to be a staff page, and it kind of talks about how weird we are, and going to show you how weird we are. But um, you have to understand that sometimes with Wes and James, sometimes you have to communicate. Very, very clearly. A couple of weeks ago, you know, we've been in this series, Building a Great Life. And, and each week we're looking at a different foundational building block of having a great life. And so several weeks ago I said to them, um, when we get to January 31st, we're going to talk about a life of purpose, an on-purpose life. So I emailed them and I said, we need to do a video about a life of purpose. And here's what we got. As I swim through the valley of the shadow of death Take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left Cause I can do a flip with half a spin And all it takes is a flick of my torso fin, yo But I ain't never ate a squid that didn't deserve it Maybe treat it like a fish, you know that's unheard of You better stay away from tuna nests on the high seas Or you and your homies might be endangered species I really hate to put your butt in a coffin Brought it on yourself and you confused me with the dolphin. Got my nine tucked away just under my fluke. Fool, so shut your blowhole before I drop it like a nuke. We've been spending most our lives swimming in Buzz Paradise. Been spending most our lives swimming in the post Buzz Paradise. Been spending most our lives swimming in the post Buzz Paradise. Been spending most our lives swimming in. Paradise. I'm sinking and I'm floating, I'm floating and I'm sinking Setting free Willie like I'm Abraham Lincoln Everybody's swimming but half of them ain't looking Tyro's in the hizzy and he'll let you know what's cooking
only at New Life, Tyrone's in the hizzy, only at New Life would you get a life of porpoise um, instead of a life of purpose. Um, the biggest... Yeah, 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 yeah. The biggest problem that, or the, the biggest regret I have is we didn't actually video them recording up here because we recorded, that was their voices that we put on our recorder back there and we got so tickled. Jeff and I were back there, we'd have to hide and just peek up, you know, so because we, we couldn't tell exactly what was going on, but we were laughing, they would start laughing. It took us over two hours just to do the audio recording and then it took almost three hours to do the, the video. So uh, anyway, um, clarity Clarity and purpose is needed with my staff. Um, now, many of you have a... And by the way, that's going to be on the website too very soon. We'll get that up and running so that you can enjoy that more. Uh, you need to listen to the words. If you didn't catch the words, I've been singing this stupid song all week. <laughs> my kids are singing. I've been swimming, spending most of their life swimming in a porpoise paradise. Got it on the brain. Now, many of you, when we do our cards at the end of our services, our registration cards, many of you, you know, write things on the back, and, and that's what I want you to do. And several weeks ago, we were talking about um, our lives, and one of the things that, that we said was to, to have this, uh, the, the most meaningful life possible, you need to understand your purpose. And many of you wrote that you don't, you don't understand your purpose in life. And so today, I'm going to show you. We're going to go to the wisest man who ever lived. It's in the Bible, um, Solomon. And he wrote a whole book See, the thing about Solomon was he was the richest man who ever lived. He was the wisest man who ever lived. He was the most influential man who ever lived. And he, he decided at some point in his life, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try seeing if I can find the purpose of life outside of God, which was a stupid thing, which isn't a wise thing to do. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about his search for meaning in life apart from God because he had all the money he could want. He had um, 300 wives and 700 concubines. Um, he had fame, fortune, and he, he chased everything he could find. And Ecclesiastes is, is what he discovered. So we're going to look at that, and we're going to find out that if you do not know your purpose in life, there are five tragic consequences that come. We're going to go through these in rapid succession so we can get to the meat of what we're looking at today. But, but Solomon says that, number one, if you don't know your purpose in life, life seems useless. It seems useless. Uh, we're going to start right in chapter 1, verse 2. Of Ecclesiastes. He says it very clearly. Life is useless. All useless. You spend your life working. But what do you have to show for it? The world just stays the same. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Sometimes when you're just living paycheck to paycheck. And you just think nothing ever changes. You just get in a rut. He says that's what it is like. If you don't know your purpose. Why even get up in the morning. If we're just going to do the same thing over and over. It just doesn't make sense. It's useless. Number two. If you don't know your purpose. Life wears you out. It wears you out. Ecclesiastes 1.4. The sun rises and goes down. The wind blows round and round and back again. Every river flows into the sea. Then the water returns to where the river began and starts all over again. Everything leads to weariness. I call this the treadmill effect. Nothing wrong with treadmills. I, I get on a treadmill occasionally. And, and the problem I've figured out with a treadmill, though, is no matter how fast you run or how far you walk on a treadmill, where do you get off? The same stinking place you got on. It says you went 10 miles in my dreams. Um, it says you went that far, but then you get off on the same place. And that's what life feels like if you don't understand your meaning. Business Week recently did a poll across our nation to find out what the number one response is when you ask someone, how you doing? Number one response in America to how you doing is, I'm tired. We live in the decade 
of fatigue because people are just tired of doing the same thing over and over. Third thing uh, Solomon says if you don't have your purpose in life is life doesn't satisfy. I don't know if you've ever been thirsty and you, you drank something that did not satisfy. That's what he's talking about. Look at these verses. Verse 8. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. This is the whole music and movie industry. They're hoping that you're never content with the last song or CD or the last movie because they want you to come and spend more money. He says, history merely repeats itself. I think in America, we have kind of a, 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 nation, a national ADD, ADHD thing going on because we, if, if we don't see the purpose in something, we get bored, we get antsy. I mean, you know, think about the remote control. How often do you stay on one program when you have the remote control? Women, probably a lot you stay on this. My wife will just leave it on one station all day. Not me, man. I can't stand commercials, and so I'm swapping back and forth. They, they did a study, and they found out that the average person will change channels 325,000 times in their lifetime. But in this crowd, I know for some of you, man, that's, that's a yearly total, Right? <laughs> Because you cannot stay still. And, and I can't stand it if I'm at your house and you've got the remote and I don't. Because you'll stay on a program too long. I'm swapping all the time, man. I can't stand it. Cannot stand it. And that's the way we are with life. If we don't understand something, if we don't see the point, we get antsy. Number four, life seems insignificant. Verse 11, no one remembers what has happened in the past and no one in days to come will remember what happens between now and then. How many of you have been to a class reunion? That's kind of depressing, isn't it? Because the heroes have become zeros. Everybody's getting fat and bald. And, and that's just the women. The guys. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We, believe it or not, at my 10-year reunion, I did not win most bald. I wasn't even close. Now, I, I had to miss my 20 years, so I can't wait two more years and I go to my 30-year reunion. That's just old. It's just old. Don't do the math. If you went to college, my guess is almost every building that you went to for any class, um, at, at, I went to Baylor, and, and I remember when the dude gave $5 million to renovate Baylor Stadium. So Floyd Casey Stadium, I was there at a football game the day he gave money. And there are names on every stinking building in, in, at, at Baylor. And if you went to college, I'm sure it's the same way. Did you ever spend any time researching who that person was who gave the money? You didn't care, right? Nobody cares. I went back home a few years ago, and when I was a senior in high school, we won district for the first time in 19 years. So before my 20-year reunion, I went back to my hometown, and, and we were going to try to find that district trophy. We figured it would be very prominent since, you know, they hadn't won one since. So we won it in 1964. Borger High School went to the state finals. And, and then my graduation year was 1982. And we were the first one in 19 years. And then for the next 16 years or so afterwards, they didn't win again. So I thought, man, it's going to be right there. So we go in and we're looking in the trophy case. And we're looking at all the trophies and we can't find it. And so I go and I ask the principal. And the principal's like, I don't know. You know, I wasn't around then. And I said, well, yeah, are, is anybody still around? Nobody in the school was around when I was there. So I go to the athletic director and he said, oh, yeah, I think we've seen that. I think it's in a storeroom somewhere. Nobody gives a rip. But, but we want district. There's not a monument to, to the class of 82? Come on, nobody cares. So Solomon says life is, you know, 
doesn't satisfy. Number five, life seems out of control. Verse 15, you can't straighten out what is crooked and you can't count things that aren't there. (laughs) What? There are certain things in your life that you can't control. In fact, the most important things in your life you can't control, like when you were born. Did you control that? No. Can't control when, when when you die. And a lot of things in between you can't control. Can you make someone love you? Can you make someone stay in love with you? No. You can't control a lot of things. You ever tried to straighten out a relationship when the other person just wasn't, wasn't going to have it? That's what he's talking about. We are not in control. Hugh Moorhead is um, the director of the Department of Philosophy at Northwestern University. And the reason this is even significant today is he started uh, a little over 45 years ago. He started writing letters to the country's brightest thinkers, actually the world's, uh, his book, I'll show you the, the cover of the book in just a minute, is called The Meaning of Life, and, and it says, according to our century's greatest writers and thinkers, so the meaning of life according to our century's greatest writers and thinkers, almost 50 years ago, he started this process of writing to all of these smart, smart people on the planet, and he asked them one simple question, what is the meaning of life? Let me just give you some, some examples. We'll go ahead and show them the cover there. This is the best cover we could find. The meaning of life according to our century's greatest writers and thinkers. Isaac Asimov said this. As far as I can see, there is no purpose in life. Carl Jung, an Austrian physicist. I don't know the meaning or the purpose of life. Arthur Clarke, the guy who wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey, said, I'm afraid I have no concrete ideas of the purpose of life. Now, to save you the purchase price of this book... It's a depressing collection of the smartest people of our time saying, I have no stinking clue why we're on the planet. I just gave you the whole book, so don't even bother. Now, if you don't know the meaning of life, what do you do? Well, you really only have three options. Option one, I found this on the internet. Option one, you can find this and you can plaster it on your, uh, this sign and plaster it at your house on your front door, your mirror, whatever. Put that next one up there. What is the meaning of life? whatever you want it to be. So option one is, if you don't know the meaning of life, just make one up. And this is actually called existentialism. Big word. Basically means that that you just decide. Everybody gets to decide. Your own purpose, your own purpose in life. You get to make up whatever you want to do. And this results in some really strange philosophies. For example, that uh, rapper slash actor, Ice-T, said... The reason we are here is to reproduce. Chill out and reproduce. Keep the species alive. And the women were kind of responding. The men are going, what's wrong with that? Eat, reproduce. Sounds good. And women are saying, men are such pigs. Yes. We're just existential. Just just tell her that next time. Option two. Second option is hedonism. Hedonism says this, and, and by the way, I'm just boiling this down, so this, you're not gonna, this is the Washburn dictionary of these terms. Hedonism says this life pretty much sucks, so I need some type of pleasure to spice it up a little bit, to, to, to make it a little less sucky. And so this, uh, this can be legal pleasures like Disney World or cruises or you know, vacations or TV or movies and music. It can be legal stuff, but many times it's also illegal stuff, drugs and, and, and other things that are illegal because the idea is give me something to ease this pain of a life that sucks. 
So you got existentialism, you got hedonism. Or a third option, you can try to find the real reason we're on the planet. You can try to discover the purpose for us being here taking up space. And, and I'm going to tell you that, that the Bible is very, very clear on this. It is explicit on the reason you are here at this time and in this place. And we're going to find that in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered with his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. Now, I want you to look at that. Just leave that verse up there for a second. Um, Actually, can you go back to the one before that, the slide before that? Thanks, Mike. I didn't warn you about that. Uh... God was thinking about you before he thought about the world. Did I go back far enough? His unchanging plan, God's purpose, before he ever dreamed up the world, was that he was going to adopt you and me into his family through Jesus Christ, dying for us on the cross. So the very first purpose, God says, the reason you are born is I want you to be a part of my family. He wants you to know why you're here, and he says it's to be a part of God's family. Now, you're going to say, isn't, isn't everybody a creation of God? Yes, we believe that. We teach that. Psalm 139 says God knows you in your mother's womb before you were ever formed. He actually knits you together as, as a, 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 a seamstress would knit together a beautiful blanket. God knits you together in your mother's womb. He has this great plan for you. He created you. But just because he created you does not mean you're a child of God. Every person who's born is a creation of God, but not every person who's born is a child of God because the only way you get into God's family is you have to say, God, I want in. It's that simple. A lot of people miss it. When you say, God, I want to be a part of your family, he says, cool, come on in. And he says, that's the first purpose you were even put on the planet was so that you could become a part of my family. And the way you get in is through faith. It's a free gift. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You just accept the gift that Jesus Christ offers you and you become a part of his family. That's purpose number one. But purpose number two, God doesn't want you just to be a a member of his family while you're on this planet. God also desires that you live in his family with him forever. Look at Ephesians 1.10. This was his purpose. There's that word again. His purpose is that someday there's an ultimate Family reunion, not the ones that you hate to go to, the ones that you would like in heaven. That when the time is ripe, he will gather us all together to be with him in Christ forever. One day, God's going to take everybody off the planet. And and you're going to spend eternity with him if you're a part of his family. So let's boil it all down. Here is the reason you're on the planet. This is on your listening guides. Life is a dress rehearsal for eternity. Life is the practice run for forever. Now, what this means is when you die, this body dies, but you don't die. I say this at every funeral I ever preach. You die, but your body, your body dies, but you don't die. Your spirit never dies. Now, you will live forever and you're going to live either in a place called heaven with God or in a place called hell without God. Now, just think this through. If you spend your entire life running from God, thumbing your nose at God, saying, I want to be my own God, and I don't want to hang out with you or have anything to do with you, when you die, God grants your request, and you spend eternity away from God forever in hell. 
And, and we'll do a series on hell later this year, and, and we'll explain exactly what that is. It is not a place of party. The Bible says it's a place of weeping and wailing. I don't know if you've ever heard those. I've heard those a lot because I've been in hospitals when people have died. I've been in funeral homes when people just can't let go of folks. I've heard weeping and wailing. And Jesus says that's what hell is going to be like. And then he says it's a place of gnashing of teeth where you're just gritting your teeth trying to endure the unbelievable pain. You want to go there, it's your choice. Don't ever say that God sends people to hell. Hell was actually created for Satan and his demons. People choose to go to hell because they say, I don't want anything to do with you, God. And God says, okay, that's your choice. Your choice, though, lands you in hell. Now, the second thing is, if you become a, a member of his family, if you practice here on earth, getting closer to God, if your dress rehearsal says, I want to do what God told me to do, I want to learn more about God, I want to be more like Jesus Christ, he welcomes you into eternity, and, and he's preparing you for that as you follow him on this planet. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Okay, thank you. Sometimes I just, I'm worried that you're not awake. Now, how do we get the most out of this dress rehearsal? Rest of our time, that's what we're going to talk about. First thing that you need to do, if you want to make the most of this life that you have, you want to have a great life, number one, you get to know Jesus Christ. Get to know him. Book of John, uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 12 to all received him. This is how you come into the family of God. To all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them. You see, God is the perfect heavenly father. And as the perfect father, he desires to spend time with you. Now, those of you who are married or who are pursuing marriage with someone right now, you don't have to declare that. They may want you to declare that, but you don't have to declare that right now. But if you are in a committed relationship, let's say that, how do you get to know the other person? You spend time with them. And by the way, ladies, this is the ultimate bait and switch, isn't it? Because dating you, he doted on you. Marrying you. Yeah, we, yeah. we just got to be honest. Dating, the one five-year-old one time said that dating is, is the ultimate like Halloween type thing because... You, you go out and you put on your nicest clothes and you look your best and you print, pretend like you're somebody you're not to impress the other person, right? Okay, that's kind of dating. Now, you have to spend time with them. And if you want to know God, you've got to spend time with them. When Janie and I, the first time Janie and I ever lived in the same city was after we got married, after our honeymoon. She didn't live in the same city with me until, until after we married. We went on our honeymoon, came back, moved into this wonderful duplex in, in the hood in Arlington, Texas. I'm telling you, dude, it was bad. It was all we could afford. But we spent time together. She was three hours away from me, and so sometimes we wouldn't see each other for a couple of weekends, sometimes two or three weekends, weeks in a row, and then we would get to see each other on the weekend. We talked all the time, ran up incredible phone bills. We wrote letters. I couldn't wait until the, the mail would come, and I still have all of those letters. Email and texting did not exist back then. That would have been so much easier. But we spent all this time together and eventually I proposed to her because we said, we like each other. We want to spend the rest of our lives together. You spend time, you get to know someone. Now we have provided for you several opportunities over the course of these next few weeks to get to know God. One is your little bookmark where you're reading through the New Testament in 30 days. Now it's some reading, granted, it's some reading. 
It's, it's 30 to 40 minutes sometimes because Luke, man, Luke is long-winded. He was a physician and he said, I'm, I'm studying all of this stuff and I'm writing to you, Theophilus, so that you'll know the truth of these things that you've been taught. Luke, man, dude, he, he acts like a physician sometimes and he writes and he writes. But here's the deal. If you will spend time reading through the New Testament at the end of 30 days, you can't help but be closer to Jesus Christ. It just works that way. Jesus called himself the bread of life. Before he, he fed the 5,000, he said, I'm the bread of life. And we've talked about this before. He was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And the Bible is called um, God's word and, and, and it's called our life. And if you feed on the bread of life, it makes you spiritually healthy. So after 30 days, you can't help but be more like Christ, be closer to him. So we still have some of those back there on the back table, some, some bookmarks, and you can start reading. And even if you get behind, who cares? Spend some time reading through the New Testament. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I just finished Luke last night. Um, so we've also, though, added uh, um, some family devotionals, and we've had so much fun. It is a blast to me to sit down with my kids and read the family devotionals to them. And, and all it is, it takes maybe 10 minutes. And I love to see the wheels turning in their heads and I see the, the light bulbs go off on, uh, in their minds as they catch on to some stuff. This whole last week, all we talked about was serving. And we talked about in our family, you know, do we tend to be more selfish or, or serving? And selfish. And, and you know, do, do, do certain things irritate you? And, and it's so funny because nobody wanted to say anything. I asked my kids, do things that happen in the house irritate you? And one of my children says, sometimes my siblings... And the other two grin. I said, yeah, she's right. And so, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we're selfish. So we spent a whole week thinking about how we can serve one another more. And, and so if you'll spend that time, man, I love seeing my kids grow closer to Christ. But if you don't lead them, I mean, we try on Sunday mornings. We got them an hour a week. You've got them 168 hours a week. Well, some school has them some. But if you're not making an effort... They're not going to grow towards Christ. And then, you know, somehow, because the cool thing is when you read God's word, I'm telling you, God begins to speak to you. 95% of God's will for your life is contained right here. The other 5%, you don't get to know unless you spend time in his word and then talking to him. So if you're, if you're not praying on a regular basis, I'd encourage you to get a little notebook. At the very least, list the things that you're praying for. Because the cool thing is when you have a notebook, then you can write down when God answers your prayer. Through the Bible, God speaks to you. Through prayer, you begin to speak to God. And sometimes God even speaks to you. And I've never heard, hey, Doug, go do this. Hadn't heard that out loud. But I hear something in my spirit, and I'll go, that has to be from God because I couldn't have thought it. And I'm definitely not a servant enough to have thought of that. So if you'll spend time with him, you will come out the other side looking more like Jesus Christ. Second thing that God wants us to do while we're here on this planet to get the most out of our dress rehearsal is use my time in view of eternity. Acts 20, 24, um, Luke wrote this as well. He wrote the book of Luke as, as well as Acts. And, and it kind of sounds like it could be written by Solomon because he says, life is worth nothing. Solomon said life is useless. By the way, at the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, man... I figured out everything else is useless. He calls it chasing after wind. Now, you want to find out a, a, a purpose in life that is frustrating? Go chase the wind. Go see if you can catch it. And then he said, here's, here's the bottom line. We need to love God and serve him. This is what 
Acts is saying, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. Do you know time is your most precious resource? You can get more money. You may not think so, but you can get more money. You can't get more time. Time, you can't make time, borrow time, save time, or extend time. All you can do is use time. And we all have the same amount. I just mentioned 168 hours a week. And here's the thing. If you don't learn how to manage your time well, you cannot manage anything else because your time represents your life. You got just a certain amount of it on the face of the earth, and you got to learn to manage it well. And here's the thing. God is watching you to see how you manage your time on this earth to determine what he's going to have you do in eternity. He's giving you a little test. This is kind of like kindergarten. And you have to pass the tax test before you can go on. And one of Satan's strategies is if he can't get you to be bad, all he wants to do is get you busy with unimportant things that don't matter for eternity. He just wants you busy because then you ignore the most important things. How much of what you're doing right now matters in five years? How much of what you're involved in this week is going to matter 10 years from now? We've got to begin asking those questions if we want to make the most of this life. Next, we need to use our talents in view of eternity. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For God has bought you with a price. So use every part of your body to give glory back to God because he owns it. Now, how many of you have ever seen uh, images somewhere of people who go to heaven just lying around on clouds? You seen that image? I think it came from like Looney Tunes or something like that. I was thinking about that this week. How many of you have seen people in heaven playing harps? You seen that, right? Not in the Bible, either one of them. That is not a biblical image. And, and the Bible says we will be like angels, but it doesn't say we will be angels. So get that. We're not going to have wings and flap around and all of that stuff. That's not in the Bible either. What it means when it says we'll be like angels, we will be neither male nor female. We'll be ne neither given in marriage nor uh, have children or anything like that. We will be um, uh, permanent, permanent spirit beings like Jesus Christ when he raised from the dead. Cool thing about Jesus, you want to know what we're going to be like? Jesus, when he raised from the dead, he could go through walls. He didn't have to use doors. He could eat because he wanted to, not because he had to. How cool would that be? I'm so looking forward to that. One of my favorite things about heaven. We're not going to do that. Angels are going to be angels. People are going to be people. So what are you going to do when you're in heaven? Well, the Bible gives us some clues. There are some jobs that we are going to serve in heaven. But God is watching here on earth. If you sit in a pew or in a chair week after week and never do a thing for the kingdom of God, why would God trust you with something in heaven that's important? He says, you've developed no skills whatsoever in serving on the planet during your dress rehearsal. I'm not going to give you some big responsibility in heaven. And Jesus talked about this. He says, if, if you are faithful in little bitty small things, you'll be faithful in big things. A lot of people think, oh, no, I, I don't want to waste my time with insignificant things. I want to do things that are important. God says, little things are important, and that's how I find out if I can trust you or not. We talked about this in our small group last week. If, if people didn't clean the church, if people didn't make the copies that, that are handed out, if people didn't do some certain things around here that you never see for a Sunday morning, how effective would our Sunday mornings be? Not. If we don't clean the bathrooms one week, how are you going to react? If we don't take out the diapers from the nursery one week, oh my goodness, I love babies. 
but they can do some disgusting things. I've walked in on a Monday morning and, gone, and, and from this door gone, holy cow, there must be a dead cow in the building. And, and it's like almost an odor you can see. If we didn't go and find that and take care of it, people wouldn't be coming. Don't tell me that cleaning the toilets is not important. Problem is, too many people think they're too important to involve, them things in, involve themselves in such undignified things. According to Jesus Christ, there is no undignified service in the kingdom of God. We talked about that last week, so I'll get off of that one. God's saying, now's the chance to get ready. How are you doing? And by the way, let me tell you this. Whatever you are good at, you should, you should be doing in the kingdom of God. Some of you are going, what? Well, you don't have that ministry. Well, maybe you need to find that ministry. God adds people to the body of Christ. And if there is not a ministry here where you can serve, you need to serve in the ministries that we have and then pray that God will show you how to start something new. God didn't gift you just to make money. God gifted you for the kingdom of God so you could do something that would last forever. Okay, I said I was going to get off that. I mean it this time. Number four, use my treasure in view of eternity. Have you been watching the stock market in the last couple of years? My retirement, and, and this has gone on you know, the whole time I've been in ministry, my retirement went from before this big crash, it was about 80-something thousand. It went down to below 50,000. And to me, see, I don't care. Right now, I mean, I figure it's a long ways off and God's going to take care of me. So when I saw it drop down, I, I told Janie, and Janie goes, <gasps> I said, it's, it's not that big a deal, babe, because it's just paper. Right now, it's just paper. Um, and it slowly started to come back. And, and I'm just trusting God that he's going to take care of me. But, you know, people are asking the question, where's the, where's the best place to invest right now? Gold? No, I'm going to tell you. The best place you can invest. Let me give you this illustration. Let's suppose that sometime in the next 12 months that just this is not happening. This is not a rumor made up. OK, let's suppose that the, the United States government decides to convert from the dollar to the Japanese yen. Dollar has been taking a beating. So sometime in the next 12 months, they're going to convert it. Now, in order to make it fair to everyone, they're not going to tell us the exact date. They just say, you're going to need to convert your, your dollars before this date because after this date, your dollars are worthless. Now, what are wise people going to do? Wise people are going to convert as much of their money as they can into the Japanese yen and just keep enough money on hand to do their daily things so that when that date happens, boom, they are prepared for eternity, right? Only a fool would hold on to all their dollars knowing that at some point their dollars are worthless. Well, can I tell you that's what the kingdom of God is like? Jesus says one day you're going to exchange your life. There will be this big exchange. You're going to die. And only a fool would go through life unprepared for what's going to happen. Another study that's been done recently, they found out that the mortality rate in the United States is 100%. You're going to die. How stupid is it to pretend I'm not? Right? In eternity, the wealth that you leave behind doesn't do you any good. Now, I'm not saying leave all your money to the church. We're, we're going through the process of updating our will, and, and I'm going to leave a good chunk of money to my children, if there is any. 
if there's anything left in that, you know, if we don't go to the Japanese yen. Um, but I'm going to leave a lot to the kingdom of God because I believe this lasts. And I believe I've trained my kids to understand that the church matters. We pray all the time that they'll fall in love with the bride of Christ, which is the local church, and that they'll spend their lives, whether they're in, in full-time ministry like I am or not, they better be serving. We start them young, serving, because we believe the church matters. But the Bible says that when you do some things now to prepare for eternity, you're storing up treasure in heaven. And, and that's the exact word in, in Timothy. Paul's writing to a young pastor and he says, Use your money to do good, always being ready to share whatever God has given you. By doing this, you will be storing up real treasure for yourselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. There's your investment strategy. And you will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. I'm looking forward to my exchange day. Because for the last 26 years, I've been giving my time and my talents and my treasure to the local church. So I think that when I get before God, he's going to say, good job. You did this for this much of your life. And whatever service he decides is best for me in his kingdom, he's going to give me that. But I worry for some of you. Because you're not doing jack for the kingdom of God. And how foolish you will feel when you stand there. And God says, that's it? Well, that's kind of busy, God. Busy doing unimportant things. Now, one of the, the interesting verses, quotes of Jesus, is in Luke 16, 9. He says, uh, use worldly wealth to make friends who will welcome you into eternal dwellings. What in the world does that mean? He's not talking about buying your way into heaven. I made that clear. Heaven is a free gift. You do not earn it. You don't buy your way in. You accept it. But what he's saying is the best strategy of investment is to invest your earthly resources in things that help people come to know God so that someday when you stand before God, when you come into that kingdom, you're going to meet people there. You're going to have people on ahead of you that say, because you gave to World Vision, I'm here. Because your church started for people who are far from God. I was talking to a dude the other night and he was asking me about our church and, and, and I said, man, we are disorganized religion. We don't, because a lot of people say, I hate organized religion. Well, come join us. We're disorganized religion. He said, oh, are you affiliated with the Southern Baptist? And I said, yeah. And he goes, oh. I said, tell me what you think about Southern Baptists. And he started rattling off things. I said, yeah, me too. I agree with all those. We're not like that. He goes, really? I said, Yeah. He said, well, I knew you had to be somewhat different because you allow dance lessons in your church. We have ballroom dancing lessons. I said, not only that, dude, we're going to have a dance. He goes, wow, a, a, a Baptist preacher who, who teaches that life ought to be fun? I said, yeah, that's us. Maybe he'll come sometime. God's saying is, invest it in things that help people get to heaven. So that somebody, someday when you're there, somebody will say to you, thank you, I'm here because you gave. So the, this whole point today has been, where are you investing? Are you investing in the bank of earth or in eternal, the eternal bank of heaven? At the bottom of your listening guide, there's a life investment guide. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to do two things on each line. 
The first line is an X where you put wherever you are right now. So if, if you're using your time well for God, you're using 10% of your time or whatever, each of those represents a percentage, then you put an X wherever it is that, and that's not just spending time in the church. That means you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're doing other things that are helping you grow close to God. If you're investing time in becoming like Christ, you put an X wherever that is. Now, you're going to put an O on the line where you hope to be in six months. And by the way, hoping doesn't get you there. You have to make a plan to get from X to O. Second one is your talents. What percentage of your talents are you using for the kingdom of God? If it's zero, just be honest. I'm not taking these up. It's between you and God. Where do you want to be in six months? Put put an O where you want to be in six months and make a plan to move there. And then my treasure, zero to 100%. What are you using for the kingdom of God? What are you doing right now? Put an X there. Where do you want to be in six months? Put an X there. Now, what I want you to do, by the way, if you were going to be baptized, y'all can go ahead and, and go out and, and uh, get ready. We'll be out there in just a second. What I'm saying is don't trade your life for temporary things. That's a waste. Most important decision, after you give your life to Christ, after you accept him and, and become a part of his family, the most important decision that you're going to make or the most important question you're going to ask is, am I going to live for right now here on this planet or am I going to live for eternity? If you're going to live for here and now, then, then yay, you're, this, is, this is your reward right now. Enjoy it. If you're going to live for eternity, God says he's got some things there for you. Now, in just a, a, a few weeks, actually four weeks from today, we are taking up a special offering in order to pay for the land that we purchased right over here, 2.4 acres uh, in between us and the, uh, the trailer, the RV park up there. Um, we paid $45,000 for that. We, we got an interest-free loan, but we need to pay it back. And so we're going to take up a special offering. And, and my goal is to get that much that day, at least $45,000 that day, so we can pay off that loan. That day, we're also going to ask you to make a, uh, a commitment of three years of, of a certain amount of money that you can give over and above your tithe. Now, if you don't tithe, Maybe you should start there. Or if you want to make a three-year commitment, that's great. If you're not giving anything. But here's the thing. We can't take away from the general fund, which helps pay for this building and, and pays the electricity and pays staff salaries and, and uh, all of that stuff. We can't take away from the general fund. So that's why we're asking people to give over and above the tithe. Janie and I started talking about this back in December, and we both decided on a figure back in December. This week, actually on Friday, we both doubled that figure because we said what we're doing is not going to please God. So we doubled that figure and I hadn't even told her the figure of how much we're going to give over and above our tithe yet because I wanted that, the other one to sink in first. Um, but actually I want, I'm not trying to tell her what we're going to do. I want her to spend time with God so that when we come together, because here's the cool thing, we're driving in the car and I said, hey babe, I've really been praying and, and I think our amount was enough. She goes, you're right. And she said, what are you thinking? And I said, here's the number. And she goes, that's what I was thinking. And that was confirmation from God that he's speaking to my wife as well as he's speaking to me. Now, when we come to that time, I'm going to ask you to give as much as you can, to sacrifice as much as you can. I have no shame or, or no shame. I'm not embarrassed by asking you to do that because you're going to be investing in eternity. Because the three-year commitments, we're going to try to take, pay off this building and this land, which is about $235,000. And then... Gang, I'm praying that God's going to do something so big that we can't even imagine it because wouldn't it be awesome if at the end of those three years, not only have we paid off this building, which by the way, if we just pay what we're paying now, we'd pay it off in about seven or eight years. We have a 12-year note. I think that's unacceptable. 
wouldn't it be awesome if in three years we have enough money to build our multipurpose building right out here on the flat part of the ground? Because in the next few weeks, we're going to open up the, the, the land for parking. We've got some tree folks coming out, and we're, we're talking about which trees we're going to take out. We're going to build a road that comes down here. Part of this road goes back behind James and Amanda's house over to the parking lot over there. We're going to open that up in, in just a few weeks as we get all of the work done. And we believe, man, wouldn't it be awesome if, if at the end of three years we already have the money. We don't, we don't borrow any more money. We have the money to start building our new multipurpose building out there. This becomes the children and youth building. Wouldn't that be awesome? The only way it happens is if you don't do this because I'm asking. Here's what I believe. I believe that, you know, we did this how to prepare for a miracle. If you didn't get that, that's three weeks ago. This, the message is out there on the table. God takes what we have and multiplies it. But you got to give him what you have. Two cards. Registration card. Fill that out on the back. I want you to write down what it is that you need um, to do from this sermon. Do you need to get to know Christ? If you haven't been spending enough time with Christ, that's it. Do you need to use your time in view of eternity? Then just write down time. Is it talents? You need to use your talents. You hadn't been using them uh, uh, utilizing them enough for the kingdom of God, write that down. Or your treasure. If you've not been using your treasure for the kingdom of God, write that down. Now, we have two baskets. One is the registration card basket. If you have prayer concerns, whatever, put that on there. The other is our joy basket. Because God loves a joyful giver. And so we're going to ask you to, if you're a church member or a regular attender, we expect you to give. If you're a guest, we never ask for a dime of your money. This is our gift to you. You come back as often as you want to. If God speaks to your heart and tells you to give, that's something entirely different than if the pastor asks you to give. Let's pray together and we'll go baptize. Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. And I thank you for a place where we can come and we can celebrate and we can be real. And I pray that you do something. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That's the God we serve. And we want to see something that we can't even ask or imagine right now, God. Would you do that in our midst? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's baptize.